Welcome to Season 5 of the podcast of the Urban Mystic. In this season, we're exploring relational spirituality, which is rooted in immediate engagement with God. It is a relational mystical spirituality, encouraging people to enter deeply into living and loving in relation to their own self, others, the cosmos, and God. In seeking to establish a relational spirituality on the foundation of our value for intimacy with God, we're teasing out the difference between our relationship to the practice of the faith and to the pursuit of relationship with God. This episode is part three in our exploration of ministry time and brings us to the end of season five. Here we recognize the contribution of the vineyard to evangelism and the altar call bracket following the message in church. Yet we also acknowledge that this deconstruction of evangelism does not go deep enough. It does not bring us to to a focus on the numinous, on the manifest presence of God in our culture of doing church or practicing spirituality. We'd like to thank everyone who currently supports the work of the Urban Mystic. We don't charge for anything we do or put ourselves and our material behind a paywall. We are in need of more financial supporters to continue this work and would appreciate once-off and regular contributions. To contribute, please follow the PayPal link in the show notes. I've been doing a lot of due diligence in terms of this end of season run that we're doing here on ministry time. So I <clears throat> I went to church again <clears throat> and I've been binging a lot of John Wimber's material, especially the, the, the teaching sessions on the signs and wonders and the kingdom of God stuff and reimmersing myself in Derek Morphew's material, his, his writings on the kingdom. And just doing that for good reason, because my predominant background is really is really vineyard when i started studying for the ministry as i came across wimber's writings power healing power evangelism and jack Deere's books as well and that was before i you know i got into the movement and the bug really bit but beforehand that 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 was my first exposure to someone that was talking the language of my experience with god and making sense biblically and theologically and that kind of stuff as well and so for me that was uh that was an incredible part of it and i feel like in retrospect i didn't see things as clearly as i do now when it comes to how this stuff is is easy to excite to get excited about but then you kind of run into problems in the long run and i feel like I, i track that in a different way because i i stepped out of the pastoral line to get into the evangelism line myself and ended up for lack of a better term. So for our listeners that aren't, uh, you know, aren't as steeped in the Christian culture and more on the periphery or have deconstructed further, please don't take offense at the language. I'm just going to use the language of the culture and how it was built back then um, just for the sake of, of 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 convenience, and that is that 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 I developed an evangelistic ministry to people that were uh, considered new ages and unreachable. What I did was I worked on the foundation of kingdom theology, and this practical model of doing ministry and evangelism and and doing ministry in church. And I took this and I did I basically redeveloped it, rethought about how one could rely on the manifest presence of God to reach people that were looking for spiritual experience. And it proved tremendously successful. And then where I ran into problems in the long run was that I was directing people into a number of different churches. I had a list of 10 really good churches here in Cape Town around me. 
you know, across the board from traditional through to contemporary through the through the vineyard. And and basically people who got a real taste for the manifest presence of God wanted to you know, there's just this, there's this culture, there's this pressure that, you know, you become a Christian, you do church, right? So that's just the way it is. And back then I thought that way as well. I thought that the problem was that people weren't experiencing God. And that if you get people to experience God, and then the next step is they join church. And that worked phenomenally well. The The whole ministry venture was tremendously successful. God really showed up. It, we did the stuff. We had phenomenal experiences. The teams were great, thoroughly enjoyed it. But then person after person would come back initially from the other churches, and it took them a little bit longer in the context of the vineyard churches, but they eventually did the same thing as well. And they came back to say that church is not about the presence of God. Church is not about experiencing God. And so there was this there was this mismatch between the fact that I'd, I'd reached people, I'd walked a long road with them, they went to church and then basically came back and said, we're deconverting again, we're leaving. My deconstruction started there. And I feel like getting to where I'm at now brings me on a loop to say, oh, damn it. I wish I just saw it as clearly then and I could articulate it as clearly then because I couldn't and I feel that I can now. And part of my part of my due d- diligence has really just 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 reaffirmed that for me. So I'm just going to throw throw it out there, <laughs> and we can pick it up from there if that's okay. I mean, that's just my that's my long pre, pre preamble. <laughs> that's good. Is it is it perhaps helpful either now or later? Perhaps you're getting to that just to to briefly touch on the 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 two people that you're introducing into the conversation, just for those who are unfamiliar with them. Um, you know, I mean, Derek Morphew we've had on the podcast as a South African guest. John Wimber, obviously not. <laughs> so if, you, if you're warming to that, fantastic. But uh, it would also perhaps just be useful for those people unfamiliar to just give a 30-second potted background to who who they are, since they'll, they'll uh, Wimber more, I think, than Murphy will, Murphy will, well, more few, cheapers. Yeah, will uh, we'll be central to a lot of our, our chatting tonight. So, yeah, back to you. So, so John Wimber... Um was a musician who converted, ended up successfully planting churches, and then got connected with Lonnie Frisbee. And he had this experience where where God said, have that guy preach tonight. And so he went to Lonnie and said, hey, do you want to preach tonight? And the guy jumped on and said, yeah, cool. And he's like, Wimbo talks about how uncomfortable he was with this. Anyway, the guy preaches, and he's like, I'm comfortable with everything he's saying. And then at the end, Frisbee ends it by making space for the Holy Spirit. And he prays the classic, come Holy Spirit, and a whole bunch of craziness happens. Um, people start falling over. Um, you know, people spontaneously start speaking things, a whole a whole bunch of things, which is exactly what Wimber didn't want to happen. Now, Wimber came out of Quaker culture, and the Quaker culture's got the strong community-owned willingness and practice of practicing for the unstructured of 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 structuring for the unstructured of everyone waiting together with an equal desire for god to speak in that environment and they they had a very narrow view on what that was god inspires you to preach that's it and and in and and so this experience of the holy spirit and you know of course christian theology 
the Father is God, the Son is God, and the Spirit is God, right? So so we 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 honor the Lordship of the Holy Spirit. We welcome the presence of the Holy Spirit. We join in on the activity of the Spirit because the Spirit is Lord. There's a whole bunch of things that 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 come out from there as well. But basically in that environment, there's there's a whole bunch of stuff that happened. Anyway, you fast forward a bit and you end up with uh with some good theology on the kingdom of God as people are wrestling with Jesus and and Paul and recognizing that this the gospel, the good news is the good news of the kingdom of God. It's the good news that God is drawing near in person in a very tangible way, and God is doing certain things. God is actually acting and speaking. And that presence of God is linked to the person of Jesus, but it's the presence of the Father with him, and the Father is doing things, and you know, and the Spirit is with him, and the Spirit is doing things. So so you've got to get it into you know, recognizing that that's what happens with Jesus. But then Wimber and others recognize that that Jesus also taught the disciples to do that. He taught the 12, the 70 or 72 to do that. And then as, as resurrected Lord, he teaches Paul to do that and picks up other people in history where they similarly are called by him, spend time with him, and they end up doing the stuff. So that becomes the catchphrase, doing the stuff of the kingdom. So Wimber's quite instrumental as a as a church planter uh lonnie frisbee is quite instrumental as a as a modern day mystic wimber borrows as a you know uh, as an educator he borrows from the language of of history so so you'll find the language of infused contemplation you'll find the language of the numinous as the presence of god you know all of that kind of stuff is is dotted in his work he makes light reference to it and generally he's not in it He's not in an academic teaching environment when he's doing these these public series and seminars, so it's very toned down. But it's there. There's enough hints of it there that that he's working with the same sources that I work with. He's drawing the same conclusions and comes up with this model of how do you do evangelism. So that's that's one bit to start. Derek Morphew is a is a South African originally from the Assemblies of God. Well, amongst the key figures, there's three key figures that that I know relative well. Uh, Derek Morphew, Costa Mitchell, and Alexander Fenter in South Africa. They were all Assemblies of God people that got connected to Wimber, got connected to Frisbee, and the vineyard in South Africa was planted out of that. Now, Derek Morphew has gone on to be amongst the leading theologians articulating and wrestling with the, the kingdom of God, Second Temple Judaism, a theology of the kingdom of God, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Alexander Fenter was uh, was Wimber's research assistant for a while, and he's written a couple of phenomenal books, uh, doing church, uh, doing healing, doing reconciliation. And then the one that I actually have some disagreement with is he's doing spirituality, the reasons why we'll, we'll follow in these con- conversations. Some people that are very loyal to uh, Fenter and, and others take great offense and feel like I'm criticizing him, but in an academic environment or just in any mature environment, someone puts forward a body of teaching, you get to agree with it, disagree with it, and you do so respectfully. To disagree with someone is not to dislike them or to hate them, right? Unless you're in, you know, a fundamentalist or a liberal. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And in this environment, it, it, it's not. I just I think that that on the whole, there's reasons there's reasons why renewals don't last, and some of those reasons are related to our spirituality and our culture of doing church as well. And and I think that there's a way in which we keep returning to a spirituality that's not centered on the manifest presence of God. Anyway, so I'll I'll, I'll get there. I'll get there. So that's the long and 
short of just the introduction of those of those of those figures. And then, of course, you know, we've had Costa, we've had Derek on the podcast. Wimber has passed. Uh, otherwise, I would have tried to get him on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> He'd probably have gone. You're a you're a relatively unknown small podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and, and and likely have been humble enough to come on actually i you know just 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 from having heard speak him speak once and engaging with him but but anyway so in preparing for this <laughs> i have basically gone back to church to observe what's happening in ministry time when i did the the doing church research project a couple of years ago i did that exact same thing went to churches across the board you know, selected uh, a vineyard church. There were, in fact, two vineyard churches. The one did ministry time in a classic way, and it just they just happened to do that the week that I was there. The other one was, in terms of how it had evolved, uh, away from the numinous, uh, away from the, the manifest presence of God to an interiorized spirituality. And that was actually Alexander's church. And um, and and the the vineyard church that I've been going to now, so I'm going to probably track three services that I've been to two so far. I've had this curious ex- <laughs> mixed experience of uh, of running into people that I know there and being greeted warmly as in like, where have you been? While within myself, I'm noticing all the feelings of, of, of like you have for a romantic partner where the relationship didn't work out, but you still love them and you just feel sad. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's been that on one hand in terms of what I'm uh, I'm feeling. But then on the other hand, there's the sense of people that don't know me at all and and descend like mosquitoes, <laughs> sensing fresh blood. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's that's been that's been amusing. So I've been, yeah, it's been a it's been a been an interesting mix. But but being in that context, I, I've specifically had an eye to observe ministry time and the evolution of it. So the other thing that I've done is I've I've binged Wimber's uh, course that was run at, at Fuller Theological Seminary and that he ran it for churches as well called Signs, Wonders, and Church Growth, um, MC510. And uh, and then he had another one as well, which off the top of my head now, uh, I don't remember what it is, but it's it's another like four and a half, five hours of, of stuff on the kingdom of God and you know, all of that kind of thing. But basically, Wimber critiqued evangelism, and he said that the, that the problem with evangelism is that we've got this programmed approach to evangelism that's rooted in our Western culture, which means that we're looking at a rational pro- proclamation of the gospel that we want people to agree to, and it doesn't work. So we've got a program, we've got these steps to go through, we've got these checks, you know, these theological checks. We want to make sure people understand and believe, and then they do the sinner's prayer, and you know, they're saved, and <clears throat> maybe we'll baptize them at some point, you know. But it's a program-oriented thing, and he criticized that and said that's not the way that Jesus did it. Jesus did it with God being present in a in a in a tangible way. And so then Wimber draws on the the broader heritage of the Christian faith to use the language of the numinous, that that the numinous presence of God, the numinous is in is it goes with Jesus. And the numinous is the mist, it's the manifestation, it's the manifest presence of God. It's a tangible presence. It's the the all-inspiring active presence of God that it's the attentional awareness that you can feel that God is present. There's the sense that the divine other is there and what it's like to be a creature, what it's like to be observed and interact with God, what it's like for God to speak to you, et cetera, et cetera. So he uses that. But then, then, and I, I, I'm busy with a YouTube video on this, by the way, which will also then go on Instagram, where I where I draw out a snippet of this. And, and I, I take the segment from Wimber. Wimber then 
moves from the numinous to speak of the numinous and he says if you don't understand the word just write presence next to it because we're talking about the presence of god but the the manifest presence of god but then he also says the numinous is also about the power of god and so then he lands on power evangelism and power healing and and so 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 i feel like in that original context that was the that that was good and i'm not criticizing for that i don't think that he could have done better then i do think that in steps towards maturity and moving on from there we can do better now and instead of translating it as as um as as power we should actually translate it as presence attentional presence active presence uh, present in person you know there's a number of different ways we can work it that that doesn't communicate that this is the power of god in operation together with our ministry but rather communicates that it's god being present and we step out out the way and that's that's consistent language that i feel that i've been using throughout this podcast and i'm just bringing it home in critiquing ministry time and why i feel that it doesn't it doesn't have the long-term effect that we wanted to have it fades and so and so what, what happens there is is this is an exciting thing and people get very excited about hearing from god initially and then seeing people get healed but within a local church context you eventually run out of people to get healed you run out of people run out of people to get saved and then what do you do and so originally this 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 is put in the evangelism box that the church was growing in the third world <clears throat> which is the non-Western world, really, because they understand the supernatural and they've got no issues partnering with God. So people get to experience God being present. Why is the church in decline in the West? People aren't experiencing God. How are churches growing? Usually through Christians transferring from an unsuccessful church, transferring to a successful church. How is Christianity growing? People are born Christian. Why is Christianity declining? Because more people, because people that were born Christian are leaving Christianity. You know, so so we've got this problem that we're working. And so the solution then is let's get to evangelism, guys. And let's get to an evangelism where God is present and active. And so as part of that, Wimber unpacks worldviews and speaks about how we've got a Western rationalist worldview that doesn't have anything to do with the supernatural, doesn't believe in it. And so we've got program-oriented approaches to evangelism so let's change that and seek god's presence in evangelism and take god's lead and then we're not trying to move god to be involved in something that we're doing we're looking to see what the father is doing we're looking to hear what the father is saying and we're going to do that and so that's quite revolutionary in that context i feel in summary that the reason why renewals end is because when renewal starts, we don't clarify the difference between the omnipresence of God, the everywhere and every when presentness of God, the I'm not really paying attention to you and you can't feel me presence of God, the the I'm I'm as equally present in your cell phone as I am in, am in your chair, as I'm in the person next to you, in the earthquake, in 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 the amidst the people that are getting murdered you know etc cetera, etc cetera. i'm i'm everywhere present equally to everyone everyone everywhere right and yet jesus emerges in that context and speaks about the message of the kingdom of god that god is drawing near in person and acting and god's been silent for a while so so jesus 
and Christianity in general, we don't have issues with the with the omnipresence of God. We've got issues with the manifest presence of God, with God drawing near in person, because we've got a disconnect between faith and belief and experience and presence in the presence of God. And so, so the place that the worldview gets deconstructed, the place where people are trained, the place where people give their attention to processing what their biases and assumptions are that guide the way they've been doing evangelism, is in the context of uh, vineyard people like Wimber and, and you know since then others is is in the context of doing training around the vineyard model of ministry and how to do evangelism in partnership with the Holy Spirit. And so people think it through in that environment they get to uh, practice it. And so this is going to grow the church. You're going to reach people, then people are going to go to church. And so that is very successful. And churches can get very excited by that and they get behind us. But then you end up with this mismatch. So in the same way that you end up with a mismatch with the Alpha Course, with people experiencing God and the Holy Spirit weakened away, because that also came out of the same model and same kind of thinking, people get into church and there's two things where this, this language of the numinous, this language of the manifest presence of God, this language of God being able to draw near to you, with you being able to draw near to God and engage God, where it doesn't carry through is into the practice of individual spirituality or into the practice of what we do when we do church. And so so, so vineyard ministry time generally landed in the box of the altar call. So, so in that same box of the manipulative, all eyes are closed and the music is on and I see that hand and this and that, <laughs> you, you know, let's get our life right with Jesus. In that box, that's that's the box that vineyard ministry time fits into in the context of church. So the main event is still gathering people for worship, but so that there's the message. And then, oh, we've got ministry time. It's tied to to witnessing or confirming the message. It's it's secondary. It's secondary, it's a support to the message, really. And then it doesn't, it doesn't last in the long run. And I think the reason why it doesn't last is because pe people that get excited about evangelism and the presence of God or the manifest presence of God in that context are a, are a small minority, generally. And then in the context of the broader church, the thinking about what we do when we do church, the thinking about what the presence of God means in church, that thinking is not carried through. And I don't feel that our thinking there gets deconstructed because we end up with the language of, yeah, but God is everywhere present. So we can't say that God isn't especially present here or, or especially not present then in church. And we go, okay, you're right. I don't have ways or tools to deal with this. That's where most people end. And so people get excited about in evangelism, but we're talking about the presence of God. And then in church, we're talking about the presence of God. And God is present in church because God also works in ministry time. So what are you talking about when you say we're missing something? And basically, I feel it's because we've got this mismatch. We've got an evolution of doing church that adds ministry time in. But we've got a collection of paradigms that still keeps what we do when we do church and when we practice individual spirituality in the box of Western rationalism, not in the box of uh, this this numinous presence of God can be the can be the the, the mature fulfillment of my spirituality. How awesome is that? That imagine I don't only hear from God in the context of getting saved or needing an initial transactional healing to confirm my faith, 
imagine I could grow to a deep, personal, intimate relationship with God like Jesus had or like Moses had. That's that's actually what's promised to us. And yet that's not what we're selling. That's not what we're enculturating people into. That's not what we're directing people towards in their spirituality. And so their faith might start with that, but they're not expecting, well, they might commit to the to the religion and to the broader faith through that, but they're not expected to grow in a depth of intimacy in relation to the manifest presence of God. You're actually, in Christian terms, expected to move away from it and towards a pure faith that that isn't about this experience. And so I I feel like like Wimber made a massive contribution, especially to people like myself, showing that way forward with for in terms of evangelism. And since then, I've been frustrated because I feel that it doesn't carry through into the context of of personal spirituality, and it doesn't carry through into the context of doing church. And so although Morphew, for instance, is giving us a kingdom theology, it still largely supports ministry time and, and stuff in the context of the presentation of the gospel and the coming of the kingdom, but it doesn't carry through into a kingdom spirituality into a spirituality center of the presence of God that individuals can grow in and groups and larger gatherings can grow into, small groups and large groups can grow into. Um, anyway, I mean, that's that's my 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 ramble. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I, I'm a bit over-prepared and over-excited and overly nervous about this one. <laughs> it's good. It's good. It's a lot that you put on the table. And so that's, there's nothing wrong with that. I'm just sort of putting that out up front, uh, partly because I'm just I'm trying to hold all of the threads together in terms of what you're putting out, and just think how can we how can we sort of collate that and then and then start to go through that uh, piece by piece. Um, oh, well, I'm, perhaps I'm, also I'm, just I'm glad I get to sound like the the incoherent raving loon, and you get to no, 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 it up. not at That's all. That's great. No, no, not at all, not at all. It's just there's there's a lot that you're putting out, and and as I'm interacting with some of that myself, kind of for the first time, or you know, sort of, it's been at arm's length. Um, it's just kind of it's, it's an initial mouthful. It's not uh, it's not incoherent or anything. It's just sure there's a. There's a lot there to be able to pause and to go back through and go, okay, cool. So what's this piece and what's that piece? Um, and so some of what I hear you saying, if I sort of try and draw some just some particular colored threads out there, um, there's a sense that that the church comes first, the, or the religion, or the gathering, or the Sunday morning service, meeting, whatever it might be, and that God, uh, and not the omnipresent God, but the specifically present God, this manifest God, and I like how you put that sort of, yeah, I want to come back to that as well, there's a point there about moving from sort of power to actual just presence, but that that presence is either secondary or is potentially just a modular add-on, but it's not it's not vital and it's not central. You can actually quite happily, and I think we've 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 said this so many times, you can just quite happily get away without it. Um but 
there's some specific things that I hear you saying about that that I just want to pick up on and reflect back to you and see where those go. And so there's a sense of that if there is any sort of manifest movement of God, any manifest presence showing up, it actually really just serves the the building of the church, the bolstering of the church, the filling of the church, the um, and that again, it's all just very secondary to the primary requirements, um, and that perhaps even in, in in kind of the power evangelism idea, you know, that you're putting out from from Wimba, even that is a, that's a so that you know clause. It's a well, if we don't have any people being born into the church <laughs> or running across to join us from other churches that are doing badly and closing down. It's this this would happen only so that we could grow a Sunday morning gathering or our you know our church membership list or whatever it might be. So that that's a very key feeling that I get in terms of what you're saying. Um I like how if I'm hearing you well, so that's one I want to give back to you. When I listen to you talk about moving from kind of the power and this different sort of ways in which you've spoken about that historically and we've talked about it but kind of the idea of power encounter if i just sort of separate that alone as a phrase as opposed to when you talk about presence now i think i think of power encounters that are contextually placed within presence or I think of power encounters that are singular, that are that 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 stand on their own, and that there the feeling for me is that there's a move from describing things as transactional to a move as desire as describing things as based within personhood and presence. And so in the same way that a person can be present to another person in an attentive way in a focused way or whatever and within that there can be powerful moments somebody can move powerfully you know in in whatever in an emotional way a physical way or whatever uh, in relationship to the other person and you can experience kind of it's, it's almost like there's a there's a there's a there's like a latent power that exists within the homeostasis of just two people kind of hanging out and that sometimes the wave goes up and something happens. There's a moment of, of something. And so in a way, relationships have transaction, but they're not transactional at foundation. And so if I'm hearing that well, I like that that's positioned as if you move away from the idea of power as primary to presence as primary, then presence has within it power. Power doesn't necessarily have to have within it ongoing intentional attentive presence and again that's for me as is a piece of what i hear the sort of the uh, again a big theme which is just you know the, the primary and the secondary stuff so a meeting can have moments of manifest presence of god but not based in that they become more transactional and that's where i hear you describing I don't know if it was in what you said earlier or when we were chatting before we started recording, but the sense of like if you have a hundred people in a church and you have some, you know, some power moments and people coming up for ministry, yeah, well, eventually you've made your way through all a hundred people. 
<laughs> and you're kind of like, okay, well, we've used up all the transactional stuff and nobody else is buying. But it's, it's you know, it's a big difference in, in, in paying another human being for sex and the transactional nature of that and relational sexual intimacy that comes out of a deeper relational so sexual intimacy that comes out of a deeper relational intimacy for example for example and that the one is kind of is a secondary thing and is a modular add-on the other one is part of the depth of what it means to be deeply relationally present with each other as two human beings for example so there's there's an element there that comes through in what i hear you talking about quite strongly so, so I just I just want to pick up on the last point quickly because it's um because I don't I don't want to lose this in my head. So so I've just made a note of it to come back to it. Do do do, you, do you've got have you got more that you want to say before? Or is it a good point? To no, 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 that's a good that's that's a good point to jump in. I said go for it. So so the first thing is I mean really it's it I feel that it's about it's it, we're we're all working the same problem and. And one of the reasons why Fenter, Alexander Fenter, loved the vineyard was that it, it, its values overcame the limitations of the Pentecostal focus on power of the man of power and on phenomena and the craziness. And, you know, in that environment, everything's pushed onto the person that's supposed to have some superpower and gifting, and they've got to make it happen. And this is God's anointed, and the other people aren't. You know, in this in the vineyard context, there's a clear understanding that we don't have that. We don't play that game. <laughs> everyone, everyone, just as with all the prophets who received the, the the spirits, they were they were all the prophets. If if there's a hundred people in the congregation, they all receive the spirits. They're they're all on the same team. No person is elevated and 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 pushed to the front as though everything happens through them. It's it's a congregational thing, right? And I think in the long run, that that desire to to break that as a culture encourages a return to like an introspective spirituality, and and that's the only place that I that I really disagree. But but there's two things that really come out of my my experience of of just visiting church again. The first thing is is as I speak to people, a programmed response people have. N nowhere have I said. The preaching was crap or the worship was crap, right? <laughs> or or it's not perfect, or it's not up to some kind of impossible standard I'm setting. It didn't meet my need. It's not my style. I didn't say any of that, right? And yet the first response people have to me is that. And I've just taken to cutting that short and saying, if that is the case, then your response is coming out of a paradigm that has told you that that's what I'm saying, because I'm not saying that. So where is it that you feel that you're getting that? And I pushed back on people now. And so I had to do that with, um, you know, just over the last two weeks with, I think it's five different people now. And they're honestly stumped because they can acknowledge there's nothing that I've said, but they don't know why they're feeling that I'm saying that. And I'm saying it's because our worldview, the way in which we look at the world, the lens that we look at the world, look at the world doesn't only, it directs us to look at the world in a certain way. And then as we hear stuff, it filters stuff as well. So we don't necessarily hear what people are saying. We hear what our worldview has taught us to stay. And we've been programmed with model questions and answers. And so I find myself tackling model questions and answers over and over with this and saying, guys, I'm not talking about the quality of doing church. I'm not coming in here to say, 
uh, this is wrong and we've got to brush up and do it better. I'm looking at the underlying culture, the underlying paradigms, and I'm saying that there's a doing church paradigm that that has not been deconstructed around the uh, around what the presence of God means, and it hasn't been reconstructed around the numinous, around the manifest presence of God and the priority on that. So that's the first thing. The, 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 sec, the second thing actually fits into that because I I had um, I was invited to lunch. And uh, <laughs> and it's actually one of the people that's on the on the worship team and has been around you know church forever, and uh, you know they're going yeah I don't I don't care about the power stuff like I want to see the character I want to see the fruit and I'm and initially I'm also just going programmed response but I'm going to hear you out generously, and 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 when I when I said I'm not using the language of power again, it's your worldview your the, your culture of doing church the doing church paradigm that that's told you that I'm saying that. It's programmed you to respond that way. But I've not said that because I'm talking about presence and intimacy. I'm not talking about let's do power and do powerful stuff and make sure people fall over and have ecstatic experiences and, you know, get healed. And that, that kind of, I, I've not said that at all. I, I've only been using the language of intimacy. And I've, and I've done this for over a decade where I've observed this, right? And then... And then when we go to the intimacy stuff and the person went, yeah, I get what you're saying. But, you know, we we actually have times in our church of uh, of this intimacy time and I just fall asleep during it. And I said, yeah, cool. I, I get that. I get that you've got a low value for intimacy. It was a little bit of a offense taken at that and rightly so, I guess. And I said, um, yeah, if I, if I wanted to spend some intimacy time with someone and every time they fell asleep, um, I think I'd have an issue with it. Like once or twice, I'd, I'd, I'd feel, you know, I'd actually feel honored that intimacy is not just about sex and you feel safe enough in my presence, you just fall asleep. Oh, this is wonderful. I enjoy this. This is like, this This is starting to hit that intimacy level of stuff that isn't just transactional, but it's it's actually like an unconditional. There's, there's a deeper care and intimacy and in seeing the person and their needs. And, you know, but come on, you're falling asleep on me every time. Yeah, don't you value me? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Why am I here? yeah. If you're just yeah. gonna fall asleep, I can get up. I could go, go watch a movie. I could go do something on my own at this point, right? You wouldn't notice. You know, you might wake up and notice that I'm gone, uh, and then you know, or whatever. Anyway, and so the long and short of it there was 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 it was an opportunity to point out to say that's a low value for intimacy. And um, what about the numinous presence of God? What about the, the the tangible experience of God speaking to you and drawing near? Yeah, I don't think that that's that's important. Okay, cool. So you've got a low value for the presence of God. What do you mean I've got a low value for presence of God? <laughs> I, I mean it, that when God shows up and gives you attention, says, I'm going to spend time with you and speak to you, you go, I'm sorry, I don't care for this. I, I like the things of church. I like being in worship. I, you know, I, I love the coffee. I love the interaction with people. But uh, but, but, but who are you again? <laughs> you, you know, um, so I'm acknowledging here that I've been wrestling this with as a, as a problem from the minute I've walked into church and from about the late nineties where I parted ways with, uh, with a church, with a church. In fact, I've, I've co-planted churches with people and parted ways of the presence of God <laughs> where they, they feel that this, that the presence of God is not important. We've got to do church in a creative way. I mean, back in 2009, I was co-planting a church like that and we, we parted ways over that. And, and it wasn't because of the difference in ideas. It was because I spoke at a session and God moved, <laughs> and they're offended by that. So I mean, but I mean that's that's another story. But but I I feel like 
this is a difficult thing. The, the the numinous, the tangible presence of God is something that has to come to the fore. And, and I really see this as three different blocks. What does it look like for the tang God to be tangibly present in evangelism? Cool. We've got that box sorted. And so and so till today, you know, there's a guy called Brian Blount who comes out of the US and he's committed for a season to South Africa and comes out every year and uh, in one open forum, I just said to him, what do you what do you do with the people when you reach them in evangelistic thing? You direct them to a church. They go to a church that doesn't have a culture of this. And the answer is, well, you know, that's that's God's work. We don't have to worry ourselves about that. I can I can respect that his calling, his his ministry, you know, what he's doing, 100 percent agree. But for me, I can't let that go. I care about the culture of church and I care about our culture of spirituality. Because I feel that to love God with all my heart, all my mind, all my strength is not to love an abstracted God who is not present. It's to love the God who is tangibly present to me in person and in the community. And that's missing. And that's that's missing large scale. You know, and so so much so that that when we look at what ministry time looks like in the context of the vineyard, it looked very different during the renewal to what it looks like 20 years down the line. You know, back then, if you had 100 people in and you had a preacher, you, say you had five people in your ministry team, <laughs> um, you had five people in your on your worship team, uh, you, you're looking at what, uh, uh, 11 people, right? Out of 100 people, 89 would be there going, we're here because God's drawing near in person and we want to meet with God. Cool. So there you've got this flow of people being, of ministering and people learning to minister and people waiting on God. And people would just wait in the presence of God in worship. And, and what they're talking about there sounds like what the classical, what's spoken of in the mystics when they talk about contemplation and being lost and, and ecstatically lost in the presence of God. You're seeing this happen at a congregational level. Fast forward to to my experience this this past uh, past two weeks. What does ministry time looks like? It looks like an open mic session for someone to come up and give a prophetic word. You know, you know, sometimes after worship, sometimes after the message. But then, what is what? Where does it go? It doesn't go into a time of the whole community is excited to gather in the presence of God and wait on God to draw near. The main event is over. This is an optional. Yeah, instance. it's already happened. Yeah, it's happened. Yeah, and so, so, so as a community, it's it's that the, this tangible presence of God is not earned, and that's even in vineyard churches, you know. And and I feel that the reason why is that this deconstruction is not carrying through. Anyway, I'm just I'm repeating the same thing. I've, yeah. So there's two things. That, one from earlier on that I'll come back to, and then one sort of immediately now that I think of that comes up in response to that. One of the best books I've ever read on prayer by a Jesuit priest, and they talk about a Jesuit brother. I don't know. I'm trying to think of the easiest way just to kind of connect the dots from A to B. So he he talks about the beginning of relationship with God. He doesn't use this language. It's the picture that comes to mind when he talks about it, that the earliest parts of the relationship with God, as I translate in my mind, are like that, and I've said this before when we've been talking in episodes is, is like an early human-to-human -human relationship. I love relationship and an infatuation. And there are things that happen and feelings that are evoked and moments and, and there are, they are to an extent that ecstatic 
contemplative space of being wound up and loved by God and feeling these feelings. You put it that way. And he says there comes a point at which God takes a step back and those feelings start to dry up. And in his experience, and I guess in how he has, because it's not just him, he's connecting this with, with yeah, just yeah, centuries of mysticism as well around, he, he uses the phrase that God is teaching you that God is the Lord of the encounter. The idea being that the encounter is not based on the feelings only. And I found that really difficult. I've read this book a number of times because each time I get something more and more and more out of it. Um, and I was really like, I really battled with what this idea, like, does God not love me that God draws back? Like, that doesn't sound very connected and intimate and all the rest, that sort of stuff. But slowly over time, it dawned on me the idea of like this, the, the happy feeling is not God within the relationship that is evoked, but my focus is the divine person. I think what's wrongfully extrapolated from this often is that God takes a step back, full stop, <laughs> and you end up with this omnipresent God and God is never there, etc. So that's not the whole message. But there's a moment at which that ex that the, the moments of ecstasy, the moments of feeling, the moments of, oh, wow, actually do, they disappear. There's desert moments, there's, you know, there's all those, there's a sort of language for, for these sorts of things. And, and then there is a hunger that emerges for the person, for the intimacy with the person, not just the feelings that are evoked within me and exist within me as if the relationship is completely within me. There is a hunger for a desire for the connection with the personhood of God. And so he talks about being less connected with the gifts and more with the gift giver, for example. And you can see this across other areas where you could talk about being less connected with the creation than the creator. And so it's not that you shouldn't be connected with the gifts or the creation. That's not the, that's not the point. The point is that you can mistake the creation for the creator, the gifts for the giver. And you see this classically with kids at a birthday party when they're given a gift and they all they're interested in is the brand new fire truck and fair enough. But they have to be reminded, hey, do you know what's behind the fire truck is like whatever, you know, Auntie, Auntie Johnson or whatever. And so I get the sense of that within the institution, and and I think also this is in a way some ground to be covered before, is that it's the work to preserve that moment. And I think you see that often in the preaching, in the even the ministry time, in the worship, in the gathering, is the idea of you can actually preserve those things because they're almost like, you know, they're 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 yummy little titbits to to eat on. But it's not, it's it's divorced from the real thing. And then when you said earlier the idea of, you know, that picture of, of someone falling asleep with you. And to start with, you think, oh, that's that's great. And the, the image that came to mind for me was not adults, but a baby and a parent. 
and a baby that sleeps on a chest and you think, wow, that's, that's, I mean, that's really special. That's really intimate. And, and I can remember a favorite author of mine, Brennan Manning, talking about the idea is that a baby, you fall asleep on God's chest and you listen to God's heartbeat and your heartbeat starts to mirror God's heartbeat. And I think that's, that's, I will take nothing away from that, but I'm aware of the limitations of the picture because it's a baby. And so a lot of the work I do at the moment is with parents and tracking their journey from having a child who's a small child to a toddler through to a teenager and often an adolescent. And we track where things went wrong. And one of the things consistently that goes wrong is, is we miss the responsibility in relationship in the growth of a relationship. And so a child can fall asleep on a parent an infant can fall asleep on a parent every single day and there's no damage to the intimacy because there's no expectation on an infant to return to reciprocate needs. But a teenager of 15 or an adolescent of 20 can be expected to reciprocate needs. And so the picture I get of the growth and maturity in relational spirituality is that you grow in understanding actually that God would say, hey, I came to talk with you and you fell asleep again. It's a bit like having a 40-year-old, uh, one-year-old, Steve. <laughs> and, and that that is not a rich and intimate relationship. And any adult that behaves like that to another adult, there's a death of a relationship that happens there. And any adult that exists in a relationship in which, oh, look, it's all about me and the things I can get out of this. And those that's the tie I see around being connected with the gifts rather than the giver and the meetings that stimulate and preserve and nurture the moments and the giftings, et cetera, that are divorced from the presence miss the idea, I think, of the trajectory towards maturity and the reciprocal nature of what mature relationship can look like. And I think there you have to understand presence. I think you can't, you can't miss that. I love what you're saying there. I, I love it. John of the Cross speaks similarly of, of, of this, and many of the mystics make like do the same thing. And yet I feel that thanks to our worldview, we misinterpret that. I've seen so many people in the context of, uh, because in the context of vineyard, I, I got to witness that and I got to be amongst those who were shut down in this way where they would go up and say, I actually want more of this. And people put them in the box of going, you're looking for the gifts, not the giver. And, and in that environment, I felt, no, they're, no, they're not. But I see that this is such a programmed and scripted model question and answer that everyone gets shut down that way. And so, so I feel that the problem with this is the the gift is associated with the manifest presence of God. The giver is associated with the omnipresence of God. So we give up the manifest presence of God for the omnipresence of God. Yay, look, you're seeking the, the, the giver, not the gift. No, I, th I think we make a fundamental mistake there. The, 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 the gift is the introduction experience to the manifest presence of God. To pursue the fullness of God is to pursue the fullness of the presence of God, which is not the inattentive everywhere presence and involvedness of God, the, the God who stands back. It's to pursue the God. It's, it's to love the God that is drawn near to you. And when that God steps back to go, hey, <laughs> hey, stop that. <laughs> it, 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 
It's to go, where are you? I I, I want you. I'm missing you. I, I loved your presence and connection. And so I, I, I think that that's where, where, where our, our language, and that's because, you know, I know it's blasphemy because we call it the teaching of the word, but teaching's not taking place, guys, when people aren't thinking and they're not growing. <laughs> if anyone takes offense at that, like, like, well, like, I hate to break it to you. Yeah. I, yeah. I hate to break it to you. Right. And so, so we don't dig through these things. We don't, you know, if, if we had to, if we had to say, does Jesus prioritize the omnipresence of God or the manifest presence of God? What would we say? The manifest presence of God. If we're going to be like Jesus, we need to prioritize that too. We can't just go, let's let's imitate him and try to be like him, right? I, we, we, we get to say, why did he love that? Oh, no, he had a special relationship with the Father because, you know, he's, you know, Father's God, Jesus is God. Okay, yeah, so... So I, I I get that. I mean, it's a bit of insider training and nepotism. That, you know, the son of God gets to be the savior and you know gets to be put to the front and that kind of. Okay, let's put that aside. <laughs> What's that saying to us? That that unique relationship is only for him. And, and often, I've heard people say yes, yeah, yeah, you know. And I go, what? <laughs> I don't think we're reading the text in the same way. <laughs> And I don't think we're actually experiencing God and pursuing God in the same way because the manifest presence of God is a high priority for me, not just in the context of gifts, but in the context of communication, in the context of intimacy, in the context of touch. And, and there's, a, there's a subtle point on that gifts thing, isn't there? Because it's, it's not as though the gifts, when people want more, it's not as though gifts don't show up in a mature long-term relationship in fact no long-term long-term mature relationship i think flourishes without loosely gift giving which is attention moments of specific encouragement praise affirmation uh, actual gift giving <laughs> time etc but it is a very one-sided approach to be in it and and you can see that in in relationships it's a very one-sided approach when it's just all about gimme 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 those relationships do they become very unhealthy but when you like when i dig into an unhealthy couple relationship one of the first things that emerges is i'm missing these gifts from you and then you dig beyond that and you realize i want you and I want to be connected with you and the gifts that you bring. And so connecting with the personhood is inextricably linked with the gifts that result from deeper intimate relationship. Manufacturing or manipulating and demanding the gifts alone is a very one-sided and it's a recipe for disaster relationship thing. Um, and so I, I would say to people who tend towards maturity, you, you know, you're chasing the gifts. I'd say, absolutely, I, I'd like the gifts, but I chase the gifts as a secondary manifestation of presence, if I can put it that way. Because presence without that kind of attention, as you say, communication, the drawing near, uh, is, well, okay, well, well, then, what's kind of going on there, basically? Yeah, and in fact, the giving of 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 gifts is a is a um, 
it's like a sampling of the giving of oneself you know there's a there's a deeper giving of oneself that follows in a mature intimate relationship between lovers and 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 i'll I'll say that again the bible in scripture is many different images for the relationship between god and humanity king uh, servant uh, creator creature but the lover and the beloved <laughs> and and the interplay between them where god is the the lover who pursues and where the beloved that responds and then steps back and then becomes the beloved that is pursued by us and we the lover that's active that interplay is necessary for a mature relationship and and i i feel that that to limit the presence of god to the box of evangelism is to faith zone God into a narrow window in the life of a broad community. And it's basically to say that we value you standing with the outsider bringing people in. <laughs> but we, but you're actually not the main focus of what we're doing here because we believe we're the main focus. You're about us, right, Jesus? So, um, so we're all about us. <laughs> we're not about you. And and in the renewal, what is different is when communities gather, they're about him. They're about Jesus. They're about the Spirit. They're about the Father. They're about the presence of God, you know, the holistic presence of the Trinity. You know, however, however clearly or murkily people understand the, the persons of the Godhead and their various ways in which we could have a relationship with each of them. So, so, so I, I I go on with some people and and do a conversational pilgrimage around the relationship with God, where where we talk about the relationship with each of the persons of the Godhead, and yeah, I I don't know, man, a lot of people struggle with that because they've got a, you know, they've not many people that do that journey with me have a clear relationship with the Father, and they they that and the and the gatekeeper of that is the relationship with their own father in particular and their mother um when 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 they talk about their relationship with jesus it, their relationship with an idea of jesus is presented by the church i i've met very few people that say i meet jesus and i've met jesus and in fact the language that is used people aren't using the language of intimacy connection or love they're not talking as though they love the father or know him they're not talking as though they love jesus or know him although there's a lot of people that do, and then limerence comes out rather than reciprocity in that relationship anyway, usually. And and when talking about the Spirit, it's conflict, you know? It's like it's like people don't know that they can love the Spirit, pray to the Spirit. They don't know that the Spirit is Lord. <laughs> you know, and, and that's that's a consistent, consistent patterning, you know. Um, you know, it's it's the most conflicted relationship, and yet the relationship that we're going to have is with the Spirit. Jesus left, sent the Spirit. The Spirit's the, the promise, and the Spirit is the presence of God. For us to have issues with the presence and power of the Holy Spirit, it's A, because we don't know the Spirit, or there's another Spirit in operation, or it's just showmanship. <laughs> but where it does happen, people fall in love with God, they get healed, they get transformed, um, the, community, the community grows. <laughs> When when you talk paradigms, the thought that comes to mind now, and and again, sometimes it's really rich to return to these things because it's a bit like looking at a diamond and you see a new facet. And I think so. Would one of the statements be then? This is how I think about it. Tell me what you think. 
people are schooled into a paradigm of doing church. What that means is they pursue a relational spirituality that is not a relational spirituality, that has the language of relationship. So it's loving God, loving the kingdom, loving God's people, but it's not a relational interaction. It's a, there's no pursuing personhood. It's more abstract. It's more rational. It's more understanding things about God, I think, is part of it. It's more, I think of in a household, I think there may be a lot of attention to, I've got some facts about kind of the parental figures in this household. And I spend a lot of time like, developing relationships and showing love towards my siblings and perhaps the neighbors. But I don't spend a lot of time engaging in a relationally complex, mature, intimate, emotional way with the actual parental figures. But I use the language of, but tell me about your dad. Oh, I love my dad. Yeah, okay. Tell me about the relationship there. Oh, well, you know. He puts food on the table. No, no, tell me about the relationship. I am telling you about the relationship. He drives me to school every day. Okay, tell me about your mom. Ah, oh, she cleans my room. No, no, no. Tell me about the relationship with your mom. Ah, oh, she's always made my school lunches. No, tell me about, no, there was this one time that we went to the sea together. Okay, yeah, we're getting somewhere. That's good. Yeah, and you know, she... um she took me to ride on the slide. Oh, so you remember the slide. <laughs> okay. But tell me about the relationship, the back and forth between you and your mom, you and your dad, you, whatever, you know, these parental figures is the picture that comes to mind. But the, the paradigm informs the way in which I use the language of loving connection. But it's not actually loving connection uh, in the same way that I think we often rub up against people who are serving within churches who talk about looking after a household with like a co-parent and it's almost a divorced living arrangement where, you know, they've got these children, which are the members of the church, forgive that language, but I think it just works in the picture and they and God kind of co-parent and it's quite an amicable agreement. And there's, you know, agreements around who's fetching the kids and who's buying groceries this week. But you can't tell me about any loving, intimate connection, or they often can't. And, and that's not a judgment. I just think it's it's part of the fallout of the paradigm. And so the paradigm conditions the way in which we even speak about and understand these things within ourselves and co-opt language that gives us the sense of something, but not the the actual content, not the weight of, of what it actually is. That's partly what lands with me as we go back and forth this evening i absolutely i absolutely love that and in fact i find people often come back to me and they say but we do value the presence of god because people people are experiencing god and i say yes but not much more so in church than in other areas of their life they're coming in already having experienced god what we're doing in church is not enabling more experience of god or a clearer experience of god and it's low level stuff that people are often experiencing. It, it's got a profound impact on their life, but it's nowhere near as epic as the tangible presence of God's stuff that they've experienced, right? 
it's uh and so i say yeah we are experiencing some form of communication interaction from god what we are experiencing and if we're happy with that says to me that we've got a low level of value for intimacy with god in the presence of god and and that's hard to communicate and i think i think what you're talking about when you when you're saying to people tell me about your relationship with your parents you know as a as a teen or you know evolving like adult or a, you know even an adult you're highlighting exactly that people are going but i am having a relationship what do you mean you know there's a scripture that means something to me a stranger came to me and gave me a word i had a i had a dream i had a feeling of this i had a feeling of that i'm happy with all these ways in which i know god which says that i, I value god and god's in all areas of my life you know and god's omnipresent anyway now, how you talk about that that meeting stuff there, then the the picture in response to that I get is like, you know, you, so you're talking about people do experience God, et cetera, but they sort of bring it with them. I get a picture of like a marriage course that you go to to enrich your relationship, and it's just really badly run and really badly hosted, and the, the premise behind the course is not actual the couples who come will have a deeper relational engagement with each other. It's the they'll consume some coursework and have a meal you know like there's all the things there but there's no richness and some people who bring in the building blocks of having worked on their relationship can go in and make something of that and can come away going yeah we had a meal together and there were some questions and we really you know we yes, communicate we, well we already well. yeah 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 we put in the work and we and we came out with something but people who come in unschooled in having a deeper relational connection as a couple who who don't see a meal as something other than a meal right <laughs> who don't see um uh, uh the questions as something other than a question just kind of go through the motions might leave thinking oh yeah it was great and they might self-report it was great but kind of it, it sounds a bit arrogant which is perhaps why i struggle with it a bit but it's almost like the people in the know who've gone a bit further relationally will kind of go no, you, you didn't. You didn't get what it could have been. Yeah, yeah. I I like what you're saying there. In fact, uh, um, there's someone that I've been uh, walking with recently, and she she get, offered this analogy, and I said I'm going to shamelessly plagiarize that. <laughs> <laughs> Just saying that when she when she goes to church, it's like she's got her burger box with a burger in it, and she takes her burger in to go sit amongst everyone, <laughs> and you know eats her own burger and then and then leaves. And it's like, yeah, that's that that's exactly it. And that makes church like the burger joint where everyone arrives at their own burger <laughs> and eats their burger. If, if they're lucky, because if a lot lucky. of them are arriving believing the banner that says free burgers on a Sunday, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. And and it's but the they open their box and they mime eating something that isn't there, and everyone rubs each other's bellies and say that was so delicious and so fulfilling. Yeah, and shock horror, one yeah. person's got a got a, a vegan burger that's just, uh, I mean, it's just lettuce between sandwiches. Um, <laughs> yeah. and, and another person's got, you know, cheese and <laughs> chilies and all that kind of stuff. And, oh, that's, that's spicy. Another per person's just got an empty box, but it looks really good. But no burger making happens in that environment. You've, you've got what you've got. And, and you can't potentially see what other people have got, but you know that they've got these burger boxes, so everyone's happy. Look, we all arrived. The prison, you know, this is a burger place. And I think that's fundamentally different is that it, it's like church becomes a picnic place where people take the little bit of the presence of God that they've got with them and they listen to a sermon and then they, they dial in and they say, ah, oh, yeah, I had an experience of God and, and it, it, it meets my needs. 
you know, and it's been meeting my needs and it's there consistently, but, but that's not the same. That's not the same. And that resonates so much with me in my experience, because I have been so frustrated with church for such a long time on those grounds of realizing when I do show up and, and I really show up and I try to be attentive and open and receptive and whatever, there are times when there are times, very honestly, when I don't really like feel or sense God's presence, but something is there and I connect with another human being in a way. I, I remember there was a lady once that, that <laughs> she she came up and she just, it's somebody we'd known for a while and she just came up and greeted me and I looked at her and I was like, oh my word, you're pregnant. And I asked her, hey, because they'd said, oh, we're trying and it'd been a bit of a journey. And I said, yeah, are you, are you guys pregnant? No, 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 no. Nothing's happened yet. And, okay. Two weeks later, hey, uh, we're pregnant. <laughs> and I was like, I have, I have no idea. It just, I just knew it. It wasn't even like a, oh, I wonder. I just, I remember that moment of looking at her and going, are you pregnant? It, I just knew it. And you know, no bump, no nothing. I mean, she was four weeks pregnant or five weeks pregnant at that point. It was ridiculous, you know. And so there was, there's a moment there that I can only connect with, with, it was like a no sensing God moment or something like that. And so I have moments like that, but it's housed within like, oh man, what a waste of my morning. So frustrated with this whole church thing. Other moments, I can remember standing behind a, a friend of mine. He was a really good friend. He was a missionary, um, and he and his wife and the, the whole family, he and his wife and three kids were getting ready. They had to move uh, somewhere else before they would eventually move to somewhere else to eventually land with a new position <laughs> to be placed somewhere else in the world. And it was just like this really confusing time and all the rest. And 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 the whole point of that morning was the church had made a big song and dance and we're going to raise some funds for them. And, da, 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 da. and I just, I'd been so let down by that church community. I was just like, oh man, it's going to be an absolute disaster. And I remember standing in that service. I was like three rows behind him and looking at him. And I remember God saying, take your wallet out and go and give it to him. And I was like, uh, no. <laughs> what? <laughs> Are you mad? And I took my wallet out. And I think I had, I didn't even have any paper money. I had like a couple of coins. You know, it was just real missionary space at that point. If I had some money in my wallet, I'd... Uh, <laughs> It was a good month. And so I remember just kind of, I, I I disengaged. It was within the music time. I walked to the back and I, and I was just like, what do you mean? Like, are you serious? Is this, is this happening? And I, and I just knew I, I had that feeling of where I just know I've come to trust that this is real. This is happening. So I took my wallet out, took my bank cards and my driver's license, you know, the things that I, I didn't feel like, you know, God was saying, give that to him. And I went up to him and I said, I'm actually actually feel like I have to apologize. <laughs> I'm about to give you an empty wallet. I know that you're here, like you're setting your hopes on raising funds today. Like this is actually going to get you guys out of the country, supposedly this morning <laughs> and this fundraising and all the rest. And I have low hopes and all the rest. And so I was standing behind you and I felt God say, give you the wallet. And so I, I'm really, really sorry. <laughs> Basically, like I'm just going to, try and do the best I can with with what I've heard and what I have. And and so I'm really sorry. Here's a here's an empty 
wallet with like a couple of coins in. And yeah, he was he was amazing. He said, yeah, God said that. Cool. No problem. Thank you very much. I really appreciate your obedience. And they collected 35,000 rand <laughs> that morning. And he said to me that when I did that, that God spoke to him after I had acted on that and spoke to him about money and trust and obedience and whatever. And it came through. And, but in that context, you know, that like it resonates with me so much. I took that burger into church with me. I went in because I want to see and hear from God. I want to see that manifest presence, even in that context that seems to fight it actively all the time. And so that picture, it resonates with me so much. It's so frustrating to be in a space that paradigmatically and intentionally and everything else is acting against that. But if I tell that story without the context, that church will say, you see, God is here and acting. And I would say, no, it has to land in this context of, yeah, and I like that. I'm bringing my own burger in. And it, and it's it's less about me. Like, you know, that's not back to where you said, you know, the charismatic. It's not that I'm some anointed genius or whatever, that, that, that I'm the special person so much as I guess I just, yeah, whatever. Uh, on that day, the connection of my desire and my openness and whatever. And so God did move, I believe, through me in that moment in spite of. And that's why I find the institution so frustrating because they will claim those things and I'm getting more and more vocal around, no, I, sorry, that doesn't belong to you, actually. Mm, it actually it actually, actually belongs to God and the, and the people of God, not the, not the institution. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Likewise, like I, I remember something similar with me, but I, I, I actually failed. <laughs> And that was standing in a in a cafe on the Cape Flats. Uh, it was my habit at, at college to go get a Coke and a chocolate, you know, um, ultimate health food, right? <laughs> yeah. When <laughs> um, I was standing in this cafe, and this this you know, it's a it's the Cape Flats. Poor people around, they come up to you, the begging. And this person walks up to me, and God says to me, "I'm going to bless this person." And as a as a student, I pulled out my wallet. So I took out my last. We used to have ten rand notes in those days. I took out the last ten rand notes. I gave it to the guy, and I literally had God say, "What are you doing?" <laughs> I was like, <laughs> "I thought you said you wanted to bless him." And uh, God said, "Yes." I said, "I wanted to bless him." <laughs> like, what are you doing? You're getting in the way here. <laughs> and, and that and that that threw me. And I, I wish I wish I, I I was more experienced and more mature. I wish I'd had any kind of models or, or had heard stories, you know, uh, from people about this. And uh, this guy said, "Thank you so much." And he pulled his hand out of his pockets, and he had a thumb, and his four fingers were missing. He'd he'd had his uh, he'd lost half his hand, and he's like. I'm a laborer and I can't work anymore. And God said, tell him to stretch out his hand and be healed. And, and I was like, I can't do that. It's like, that's just too much like the Bible that I read. It's like a biblical story. You know, Jesus saying to someone, stretch out your hand. You know, I was just like, I can't do that. I'm clearly projecting. And I walked away. And I walked away feeling the disappointment of God. And then, and then I was like, no, no, no. I think I was hearing from God. Let me go find him. Could not find him. Um, and, and I think that it's it's between the two that there, there's ways in which God says, so 
support this person with finance because you know ultimately that person they still had 10 rand they could buy themselves a loaf of bread and milk and stuff in those days <laughs> these days you can't buy a loaf of bread with that right you can't even buy chocolate <laughs> so, so so at least he had that but he didn't have the gift that god wanted to give him and that's because i wasn't involved and in your in your situation finance was the was the gift and you're a part of that in in my situation there there was another gift that god wanted to give and i failed abysmally and i felt like the reason why was because then i didn't have a paradigm that included the manifest presence of god and god being present in person to speak and act and so that concept was so new to me i just tripped and fell in every possible way <laughs> and I, I think i think that we need to like what does it look like getting into this kind of stuff what does it look like building a culture of this it looks like people being able to process this you know i for years i carried genuine pain over my failure in that and shame i couldn't speak about it you know, it, it took God turning me upside down in a swimming pool <laughs> to 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 speak to me about that and and set things right. But that was a uh, that that was ten years later. For ten years, I struggled with that, and there was no one to be able to tell that story to because, you know, geez, you know, you know what it's like to be obedient to God, Steve. You know, and if you're not listening to God in this way, ooh, you know, mm, we've got problems, mm, and mm, you know that could even be the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, and we know that that's unforgivable. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, you, you know. So, so there's there, there's a lot there's a lot in this that says to me, not just that we don't have a culture of it and we haven't de we deconstructed it. It says that we're pathologically disconnected from it in ways that 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 holds no room for it. You know, and so and so I, I think that there's there's a lot of people. So so one of the other people that I spoke to in this environment was talking about it and going, you know, talking about another vineyard church that meets outside and you know, it's much more communal and participatory because they don't often preach, you know, it's it's more community interaction and they love that and you know, and then they're they're talking about the presence of God in that environment and saying they love that and they miss that, you know, this is a more convenient church for them and you know, and you know what? I don't need to get that out of church because I get that out of my small group gatherings and elsewhere. And I'm like, okay. So the main event, <laughs> the main event where the culture is actually taught and what stands, we don't have it. And you say that that's okay. I don't think that that's okay anymore. You know, 10, 15 years ago, I would have been, well, 10 years ago, I wouldn't have known or say 15 years ago, back in 2006 longer than 15 but um, you know back then i didn't i didn't have the words for it and i didn't have the confidence for it whereas now i feel like it's just so clear i don't think i've ever seen it as clearly as this and i don't think it's oversimplifying i think it's a matter of of, of understanding that that people make inroads and 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 people who are tremendous gifts to the church like john wimper made a phenomenal contribution and inroad and we haven't thought it further you know, and so the the vineyard people that we hail as the exemplars of the faith in the context of this movement are people that merely repeating that. They're teaching predominantly vineyard churches and friends of the vineyard to do ministry time for evangelism and and as a add-on to 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 um the message. And that is good. I'm not saying that that's bad. I I love that. Um like I'm the first one up for that. <laughs> these these days of a visit churches, I'm 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 pulling I'm pulling my my hat down and saying, God, 
don't speak to me. <laughs> I don't want to hear. <laughs> if you speak to me, I'm not going to listen to you. That's the spiritual gift that I practice <laughs> at the moment. <laughs> Silence and withdrawal, right? <laughs> Solitude. <laughs> the abnegation of the divine. <laughs> but... <laughs> um, <laughs> should write an anti-spiritual practices book. <laughs> yes. <laughs> in fact, in fact, I could borrow from Church Landreach for that. This is the apophatic practices that really yes, yeah. into the there we go. Yeah. <laughs> into the true depth of divine silence and absence. <laughs> you withdraw to solitude even from God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but 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 I do I do think that it is possible. To, to track this. And, and the starting point for many churches is the introduction of ministry time. That's where they get to see it. And they get to see it in a contained way. And they get experience on people that aren't part of the church. It's a win-win. Those people weren't coming to church. If they're offended, they're still not coming to church. You've lost nothing except your time and effort. But for every person that does experience God and come in, you've got a hero story. It's a it's a win-win scenario, right? But it's still in the box. Where does this fit? It fits in the context of the Alpha Course and the Holy Spirit Weekend Away. Do we do this in church? No, we don't. <laughs> Ministry time, taking people out onto the streets to do evangelism, hit and miss. How many people develop a culture of this? I think very few at the end of the day because people experience a lot of misses. One of the incredible things about revisiting Wimber stuff is, is he, 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 he said, well, if I take Scripture seriously and I take Jesus seriously, I should be praying for the sick to be healed. So they started doing that. And for a year, they didn't see anything. They spent a whole year, week after week, in church services, praying for people to be healed. <laughs> no one getting healed. I mean, man, that's some tenacity. There's a there's someone um, up in the, uh, the northern regions um, uh, that I heard telling a story about how uh, they, they took over the church and they tried this as well. And they had a negative church growth experience. <laughs> they 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 lost about two thirds of their church over of like course. a year, two year period, yeah. because they they were saying we take the presence of God seriously. And we're going to move there. We want to shift the culture of the church there. And week after week, God did nothing, and people left because we want a good experience of church. I want a good sermon. I want a good um, worship session. I want good coffee. I want a great community. What's this waiting on God stuff? Nothing's happening. I'm bored. This is uncomfortable. This is nonsense. I don't believe in this. Oh, they're going charismatic. They're going Pentecostal. We know how this ends. It's a cult. You know, there's so many responses that we have, which all just highlights that we don't trust God, that we don't love God. We might be in love with the idea of God, <laughs> but we're not attuned to the presence of God. And and I love the thing that you spoke about last week, that that attunement is very important for couples. And I think that that as a church, we're not attuned to God. Um, I, I, I practice not being attuned to God because I it's just too hurtful and depressing seeing people experience God and go to church and being shut down over this. Because they're going, I see them going to church because they're looking for more of this God, not being told to shut up, behave, and belong. Um, and that's that's one of the reasons why why in uh, you know following this series, I'm gonna uh, we're gonna release some episodes. So this is a just a pre-ad <laughs> of what spiritual direction looks like and what it looks like to have conversations with people at different levels and different spaces in their journey. You know, because 
because we, we're often hung up on what people believe as opposed to coming alongside them and encouraging them towards intimacy with God. And and I've I found that the way that I was missiology, the study of missions and evangelism was my primary focus in studying theology. Like I I was all in on that say. Um this this experience of the presence of God revolutionized things for me. And I couldn't help but feel like a dirty salesman. You know, I, I remember uh, there was an Assemblies of God church that joined a whole bunch of us as students, and uh, and I was part of that initially. And I was just like, I, I just, I couldn't, I, I just wanted to vomit. that the, the whole altar call thing, I just felt was disgusting, and I just wanted to walk away from it. And I did. And thankfully I did, because, because I knew that what I was looking for was this God that had spoken to me and been present. I wanted to see more of that. And then I managed to managed to get into that. And it didn't lead me to the, just the freedom and the excitement of just seeing the church grow and the church numbers grow. I felt I felt that we we're missing something fundamental in our love for God and the presence of God. And I just couldn't solve it then. You know, now now I'm almost tempted to say, <laughs> and perhaps I shouldn't say this. So so saying it now is safe because I <laughs> I, I can potentially just edit it out, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. But if 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 locally in Cape Town I could gather twenty people that were interested in this, I would love to journey with them to see what we could do if we could plant some form of church that uh, that was focused on this. So I think that stays in the yeah, <laughs> <clears throat> because uh, I have you know when I listen to your story about the man in the cafe, I have deep compassion. That's that is the primary response that I perceive within myself. I have deep compassion. Um, perhaps unfortunately, far less so for the man in the story, which is interesting to just notice, but my primary compassion is for you and that experience and what followed from that experience for you. But it's not it's not pity. I feel drawn into that. I feel drawn towards you in that because that is the, how do I want to just order this? Like that, that is the meat and potatoes of relational engagement with God. And, and I don't want to make it sound like, or just signs and wonders. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying getting drawn further, I think at least, into more and more intimate relationship with God. That's what that means. And it means that that you're then exposed to difficult things like that. You're exposed to this liminal space, this growth space, this kind of zone of proximal development we always used to talk about in, in personal development and team development stuff. This 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 next stretch for you towards, okay, God is doing that. Oh, wow, I don't know if I can be a part of that. And I feel deep compassion because I feel, I think, if I'm correct, I feel the fear response there, which is based on the will you trust me? Will you take a step forward? It's it's very scary, I think. And, and you know, without telling a reciprocal story, that really resonates within me, that fear response. No, I can't trust you in that. Actually, I won't. It's too much. And not too much in a, 
I don't want that. There's there is a bit of like a hungering for me in that, but it's it's very very scary. And so the the second step that accompanies that is I then am filled with compassion for the people who do church, because it's easier. And I don't mean that in a in a simple. Um, oh well, we'll just go for the easy. I mean that that is a that is a completely understandable response to fear. It it is one of the deepest rooted deepest rooted parts of what it means to be human, is to freeze or to run or to fight back in the face of that kind of fear, and it takes a lot of relational trust to instead open to that. And, well, you know, I guess there that Jesus' words kind of, you know, um, not as I wish, but as you wish, you know, kind of, if you can take the cup, then please, there's a sort of, I don't want to go there, but I'll trust you. That's an openness response as opposed to a fear response. And I completely get that because I see it in myself all the time that I can be, so in such a default manner oriented towards being fearful. But I also know, both experientially, and I think with my heart and my head, that fear is not, is not the end point in that. That that can be, whatever the language is, can be faced, and that there is, there is trust beyond that. There is, a, there is a possibility to open and go, you know, when you talk about spiritual direction, it's it's to offer it's to offer to other people what you were perhaps missing, what I hear you saying, and what I've been missing as well, I would say, in that moment, that they can tell that story to you of their moment in the cafe with that person. That they can that they can orient away from fear and towards openness and go, well, it really happened. And I ran and I was scared and I didn't trust and I wasn't sure, but I was sure. And I feel shame and I feel like that again, that's the meat and potatoes of relationships. That's, that's when, like when I sit with two people and to help them reconnect, it is to face those things. Yeah. I hurt you because I was scared. <laughs> I lashed out because I was hurt. I, I I behaved that way because of some past thing that I haven't reconciled and faced within myself and whatever else. And it's easy to go, yeah, you shouldn't. But it's very, very hard. It takes a lot internally to go, okay, let me tell you the story of my shame with that moment with God, when God reached God's hand out. And I went, I can't, I won't, whatever it is. And I, I think that's why it's just easier to do church. And so I have real compassion for that, while at the same time not wanting to accept it as the way forward, if that makes sense. But I, I'm just, I just wanted to share, I was really struck by that. It just arose in me and I was like, wow, okay, there's a real, wow, that's, that's happening right now, present tense. And I guess I would, I guess part of it also is I want to own that, but also I would hope that people listening would hear that and that churchy i don't know i don't know how to say that <laughs> churchy people might hear that that it's that I, yeah i i feel that and i and if that's there and if you recognize it i feel that fear i know that fear within me to go no god no i won't 
as actively as that, or even subconsciously, cut my own legs off so I don't follow you, so I don't trust you, you know, to self-sabotage, to do all sorts of things. And I long for, because I have one or two, you are one of them, I long for more relationships where that can show up and where I can crunch through the raw data of my experience in a way that sees the fear and has compassion for the fear, but orients towards the, the, you know, the trajectory is towards the open, the maturing, the trusting. Yeah, I, I hope that's clear in terms of just, just trying to crunch right now the raw data of, <laughs> of that as I feel it unfold in real time, actually. That, that is, I, I feel like the one thing I, I just want to highlight from what you're saying is that in many situations you sit down with people they don't they don't talk about doing something because of their fear or their shame or sharing that they point fingers at the other person you're this you did that blah blah that's that's the process of getting people through that you know if people aren't safe they can't speak vulnerably you know they defend their point they attack there's a there's a phenomenal process to being the kind of person and 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 you're you're naturally like that in your experience and i think you're 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 gifted at enabling people like that and we need we need more people like you as spiritual accompaniments you know spiritual directors for people people who can do conversational pilgrimages with people and and enable that you know um yeah and, and especially people who've got a uh, a deep sense of the numinous presence of God. You know, um, you know the the this the numinous in many ways goes back to Rudolf Otto's the idea of the holy, and it's in the context where people are are really starting to take spiritual experience seriously, and psychology is emerging, and people's inner life is emerging. That's where the language of mysticism first starts and gets coined in a particular way. And and Otto says, guys, you, you, you're missing out on something. There's a quality of experience when you're in the presence of God, <laughs> you know, where we where you know, and he and he goes to describe it, you know, the 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 sense of of power, that the 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 creatureliness before the creator, et cetera, et cetera. There's a there's a quality to the tangibility of the presence of God. We we you you know, in the same way that uh, you know, in South Africa we get to do these things. Uh, called game drives every once in a while depending on where you live and how rich or privileged you are or when your holiday is or whatever and um, if you've ever been like 10 meters from a lion in an open back vehicle you've got a sense of what that thing's presence is and your body responds <laughs> you know um, for, for those of us that have uh, the, some form of gift of discernment and have experienced the the demonic in people when there's something real and the hackles rise, you, you know you're in the presence of something tremendously deadly and it's not friendly towards you. You've got a visceral response. For those of us that have been in the presence of God, especially when you're new to it, I mean, I remember my first encounter, it was a cloud of fire and power. It was terrifying. It was it was raw power. There was a, a sense to it. It was like, it's like when you stand underneath those power lines, the electricity is above you and it, it resonates through your body. You know, there's there's all these ways that we can try and describe describe it, but if we don't value presence, we <laughs> if we don't value God, we will look at the fear and say, 
quote things like, where the presence of God is, there is no fear. <laughs> so there's fear there, so that can't be God. You know, and it's it's like it's like those those things are, are skin deep. And I think unfortunately, even if you look back, um, um there's a there's a book that I don't recall at the moment, but it evaluates revival. And one of the things it basically says is that the great awakenings, these great revivals, right, they're about renewing the church because the church is like passionless. You know, and what do you say during a period where the church is passionless and broken and dysfunctional? Oh, look, we don't trust experience. We've got our faith. But then a renewal happens. And what happens? Oh, people fall in love with God. Yeah, yeah, I trust that feeling. Why? Because people are coming to church. <laughs> so you don't trust feelings when it's supposed to take you away from church and you're saying there's something wrong here, guys. There's something missing. No, don't trust your experience, which is why we have things like Waymaker as a song. God's this awesome Waymaker, even if we don't see God doing anything. We know that God is somewhere in the backstory, <laughs> you know, underneath, hidden, <laughs> still at work because God's tireless and keeps going there. And I'm going... Yeah, sure, but we're missing it if that is like the primary song in our worship set. Um, or we're actually just being honest about where we're at. And if we are, I'm horrified, and that's okay. It's okay for me to be horrified and disappointed about that because I'm not disappointed in what we're doing when we're doing church. I'm disappointed that this presence, this God, this divine other that I love is not there, and that's who I came to meet with. Like you can preach as well as you want. It can entertain me up the kwazoo. I can be educated. I can I can love what's going on, right? <laughs> but that's not what I'm there for. And and I recognize that that many people are there for that. And I think that's great. We've got enough churches that do that. What we don't have is enough churches that are focused on the presence of God. You know, um, and and I think it's it's about time that we that we don't try to answer it for people in an easy way. That means they just get to add it to their church that is about them and their sermon. Um, <laughs> you know, we need a fundamental paradigm shift that reorientates. That doesn't go the message is key and the presence is an add-on. We we need something that basically shifts that and says the presence is key. Um, not the other way around, you know. And any teaching that happens follows or precedes the main event. It's not the main event. And in fact, if we shifted it around and we spent 25 minutes on worship or 30 minutes of worship, 40 minutes in the presence of God, and then we said, okay, guys, who wants to stay for the teaching? Uh, you know, I've got to get a lunch, I've got to this, I've got to that. <laughs> How would we feel about that? <laughs> and and if we feel about if we feel fighting words about that, but we don't feel fighting words about the lack of the presence of God, then I've just got to put it to us that we've missed we've missed something, and it's time to rethink what we're doing. You know, um, you know, I'm I'm going to horribly misquote another Jesuit, <laughs> Ignatius. Um, the rumor has it that uh, that the the priests write back to him and say, "These fifteen minutes that you've allocated us in the morning to meet with God is not enough. We need more time." And he's rumored to have written back and said, if you've fallen so far from the presence of God that that's not enough time to rethink your calling, is this actually what you should be doing? <laughs> and, and and I think we've got to we've got to become honest that we've been sold shorts. And I don't want to be part of selling shorts, our idea of spirituality, what it means to know God. You know, we've 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 had guests talk about 
you know, an experience of God is a peak surprising events. And, and then there's been awkward conversation around that. I, I don't want to put anyone on the spot. It's, it, that's not just a conversation I've had with someone on a podcast. That's, it's something that I've had all over the show with people. And the answer is always that mountaintop experiences are few and far between. You know, Moses only went up the mountain once, twice actually. And I say, yeah, but you're missing what the text said. And they go like, what is that? Every day he went to the tent of meeting and that same cloud came down to meet him. You know, every day for 40 years, he didn't just go up the mountain twice. You know, um, if we value scriptures so much and we miss that, we've actually missed the point of what scripture is saying. And I think that's that's also where Jesus lands, where he says to the people, you search the scriptures because you believe in them, you have eternal life. And I think that applies to us. We are the modern Pharisees. Yeah? Because we're still doing that with scripture and we're missing the spirit who is the presence of God. Jesus said, you miss me. You know, I'm here. I'm, I'm the source of that. And you know what? I'm going away. The spirit's going to be the one amongst you from here on out, right? And now we're in the context and we're going, yeah, but we don't know the spirit. You know, it's like a catch-all paintbrush. <laughs> You know, again, I think I think we're selling things short, and I think I think we need to take stock and uh, and and have serious conversations about this. And um, I, I know I also get a massive criticism and and backlash over this, where, where someone says, "Hey, you know, I planted this church thirty years ago, and I've been running it, and you don't have a thousand member church." And I'm like, "Yeah, I've actually practiced a spiritual discipline of the opposite." <laughs> But that doesn't mean that I haven't been involved in churches and planting churches. You know, I've contributed to to six <laughs> so far, <laughs> and and I'm sure I'll contribute to more. <laughs> but but I'm not doing that because my focus is the presence of God. And if the choice is between doing church or doing the presence of God, I know where I'm investing, and that's in the presence of God. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think that they need to be set apart because um, ultimately faith and experience go together faith and relationship with god go together but in the faith as relationship paradigm you don't need the presence of god 